Please do join me now in taking out your Bibles and turning to Paul's letter to the Galatians. We are now on week six of our walk through this epistle. As we turn to God's word, let's also turn to him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, may your word before us be our rule. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. And may your greater glory be our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm sure we've all heard these words many times before said to us at a time of difficulty. We've heard these words come straight at us. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Well, that may be the case for times when we're tempted to be inappropriately hurt or offended by what was said or done to us. But when it comes to understanding and applying the truth of God's word, we've got to take it personally. Now that's true for all of God's word, but it's especially true and nowhere more evident than when it comes to the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. You and I have got to take it personally. Why? Why? Because... Justification by faith in Jesus is not just good news for others. Out there, it's good news for you and me in here. If we are united to Jesus Christ by faith. And once joined to Christ by faith, we get everything Jesus offers. Especially His righteousness. In John Calvin's great multi-volume work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, uh, title three of his, uh, uh, title of book three is this, the way in which we receive the grace of Christ, what benefits come to us from it, and what effects follow. And in chapter one of book three, Calvin writes this, quote, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Our text will address an aspect of what happens when Christ is no longer outside of us but rather inside of us. And what happens when we are no longer separated from him, but rather joined to him. Here we are now in week six of our series of the gospel according to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. We saw in our study of Mark that there's a lot of ignorance and confusion about Jesus. And as we're studying this letter, we're finding out there's a lot of confusion and ignorance when it comes to the gospel. And that was the case in the first century. Here it is, the case in the 21st century. Because Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he came to do, that is the gospel, cannot 
be separated. Then and now, Galatians is addressing the ignorance and is cutting through the confusion in order to provide clarity on the gospel. Now remember, Paul, the converted Pharisee who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, remember Paul had a calling to minister primarily to the Gentiles. And he goes throughout the Mediterranean world on missionary journeys and he preaches the gospel and he plants churches. Paul is not someone who just drives by and plants churches. He, he stays and he stays primarily through his letters to the church to continue to support a new church and oversee a new church through his letters. We believe he wrote this letter in the late 40s um, AD to a group of churches in Galatia, the southern part of um, an area in modern-day Turkey, which was a Roman political province. He had been there, he had preached, he had proclaimed the gospel, he had established churches, and now he's writing to address a sudden crisis. Because some Jewish Christian missionaries, which will be known later as Judaizers, were teaching that Christians must not only believe in Jesus as Messiah, but also follow and obey Jewish traditions and laws. Otherwise, they would not be accepted by God. Now, Paul recognized that this was a threat to the truth of the gospel. And behind the visible divisions and disunity in the churches that we saw when Peter drew back and did not continue to eat with Gentile Christians, that this, behind this visible disunity was a theological issue because there was confusion about the nature of the gospel. And in his letter to the Galatians, Paul proclaims and defends the truth of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now remember the rough outline of Galatians, and it can be said like this. What God has done teaches us what we should believe and how we should live. That's chapters 1 and 2, primarily an autobiography, Paul's personal defense of his apostleship, his ministry. And we're going to be moving next week into chapters 3 and 4, which are primarily Paul's theological defense of the gospel message, justification by faith, which of course he introduces here in chapter 2. And then in the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, are Paul's practical application of the gospel message to his readers' lives, in particular, the freedom that we have in Christ. You've been hearing it every week. We're going to repeat it this week, that there's one theme, as it were, a central theme in Galatians. If you had to use one word, it would be faith. If you had to use a few more, it would be justification by faith. Last week and today, we're in verse 16 of chapter 2. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Remember Martin Luther, the, the monk, the seminary professor in the early 16th century, he, along with others, discovered that Christianity was not about what they had to do, but rather what God had done for them in Christ. It was a lesson in the grammar of the gospel that yes, there are commands to obey, but that first come, that comes after the statements of the work of Christ on your behalf and in your place 
It occurs before statements of fact and reality. Luther wrote of this letter, this epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. I have betrothed it to myself. It is my wife. Now, what do you think this marriage between Luther and the Galatian, the letter to the Galatians produced? Anybody have a guess what a marriage between Luther and the Galatians produced? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley, the hymn writer of which we've already sung, Arise, My Soul Arise, and which we will sing, And Can It Be? He comes to faith through reading Luther's commentary to the Galatians. His brother John comes to faith in Christ through reading Luther's commentary on Romans. So what did the marriage produce? It produced some great hymns that we sing that draw our attention to biblical truth. Now we will see embedded in and running throughout Galatians the biblical teaching about salvation from sin and death that characterized the work of the reformers. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, and all for the glory of God alone. Why are we making such a big deal about this? Why? Well, remember, the first reason is because it takes God at his word. We believe what God says when it terms when it comes to how a person is made right with God. We believe him. We take him at his word. We honor him. And the other reason we've been talking about is this. If we're saved by faith in what Jesus has done and not by faith in what we have done or what we have to do, then we're freed up. We got more time to love our neighbor. And as we will see in Galatians, we will see faith working through love. In particular, loving our neighbor. God, remember, doesn't need our good works, but our neighbors do. And we will see that as Galatians unfolds. Now, last week we were in chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, and we saw it was another time of defending the truth of the gospel. Remember before there was a meeting in Jerusalem where God sovereignly preserves the truth of the gospel. And then to another city 300 miles away is a meeting, a clash, where God's people actively defend the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Last week we saw an unexpected confrontation between Paul and Peter. We saw conduct that was out of line with the truth of the gospel. And then we saw finally a necessary and needed confession of faith because we saw that behavior is really grounded upon belief. A confession of faith is so important. We saw in our text that Christian living is a continual realignment process of bringing everything in line with the truth of the gospel. Now today we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 21, finishing up chapter uh, 2. And our text forms an exposition and an argument. Um, Paul will first declare and expose the truth of justification by faith, and then he will defend and argue for the doctrine. Examination, his examination of the doctrine will be both out there as well as in here. And as we go forward, we're actually going to have to go first backward and take a look again at verses 15 and 16. 
Again, the outline didn't make it into the printed bulletin, but there's really two sections, two points. First is justification by faith out there, verses 15 and 16. And then secondly, justification by faith in here, verses 17 through 21. So join me as I read verses 15 through 21 of chapter 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if... In our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So first... Verses 15 and 16, justification by faith out there, an exposition of justification by faith. Remember last week, the story of the man who was asked to define um, ignorance and apathy. And remember his answer, I don't know and I don't care. And it's Ignorance and apathy that really characterizes a lot of today's church's um, uh, view of justification by faith. They don't understand it. And even if they maybe do somewhat understand it, they don't care. Well, may God be gracious to us in giving us a growing understanding of this precious doctrine and a growing um, desire to protect it and to promote it, to care. Now, this doctrine of justification by faith is important because, of course, it addresses a universal truth. And that universal truth is this. All mankind has a problem with God. We saw in our Old Testament reading, Psalm 143, verse 2, no one is righteous before God. Now, you and I may have met somebody out there who says there is no God We may have met people out there who who just deny the existence of a creator, a supreme being, but that's really rare because most everybody is worshiping and following and serving a God, some God of their own making. And whatever that God is, they know they've got certain responsibilities and requirements to be right with that God. And so the doctrine of justification by faith addresses a universal truth. All mankind has a problem with the living and true God. Something is wrong between 
us and God. Folks that do acknowledge there is a God that have that fundamental belief that Romans 1 and Paul talk about. They know that God is righteous. That he is, he is right. And they know they are not. Something is wrong with them. It's the human predicament. And so Paul here is going to set forth the contrast between the false teacher's doctrine of justification by works of the law and the apostles' doctrine of justification by faith. Because these are two contrasting ways to be right with God. And option one is justification by works, acts done in obedience of the law, the sum total of God's commandments. Justification by works of the law are not just some isolated Jewish thing. My friends, it is, a, it is the religion of ordinary man. It's the religion of man on the street. It's the default nature of human beings. It's how we operate for one another, with one another, right? You do this for me, I'll do that for you. It's the view that says, if I do this for God, He'll do that for me. It's hardwired into fallen man. Justification by works of the law is not just some Jewish thing of years ago. It's how many people attempt to be in relationship with God. But justification by works of the law is a big lie. Why is it a big delusion? Why? Because no one can keep the law perfectly. Even the law that they set themselves, they can't keep it. They can't adhere to it. Justification by works sounds good, and it brings disaster. But Paul presents, of course, not just another option, but the, the way. Justification by or through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification being, as we will see more and more in Galatians, is a judicial legal declaration made by God. You see, we don't justify ourselves. God justifies us through faith in Christ. Remember last week's confession of faith? We, we read together and confessed together the first three sections of chapter 11 of justification that brought together a whole lot of biblical teaching on this vital subject. Well, our shorter catechism, question and answer 33, defines justification like this. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. In this definition, this answer about what justification is, you heard of pardon. You heard of acceptance because of the credited and received righteousness of Christ that is received by faith. One commentator rightly says this, the reason faith justifies is that it takes hold of Christ and Christ is the one who makes us right with God. We are acceptable to God not by keeping the law ourselves but by trusting in the only man who ever did keep it, Jesus Christ. Look with me back at verse 16. 
There's an ascending scale of emphasis. You see at the beginning a general. We know. Paul and Peter. Paul's bringing Peter in. We know. But it also moves into more personal. We also have believed. And this justifying faith we will see is personal faith. And then finally it moves on to at the end the statement that no one will be justified. No one will be justified because of the works of the law. Now this is a powerful statement, verse 16. Because look at this. You've got justification by faith in Christ insisted upon by the two leading apostles. Basically, what Acts is about is about Peter and Paul and they're saying justification by faith. And it's confirmed from their own experience. We also have believed. And it's endorsed by the sacred scripture of the Old Testament. Psalm 143, for example. No one is righteous in and of themselves. It's no wonder Martin Luther could say this. It's quoted as the something to think about quote. This, meaning justification by faith, is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consists. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. My friends, we have permission here to beat it into our own heads continually as well. And by God's grace, this series will help us feed upon God's Word and counter the Word of the the world. So as Paul moves from exposition to argument, he's going to pick up on the personal aspect, the we have also believed statement from verse 16. Paul wants the church then in Galatia and the church now today in Florence, Kentucky to know that justification by faith is not just some doctrine that's out there, but it's also, some, it's also a precious doctrine that is in here. So let's look now at this argument for justification by faith in here, verses 17 through 21. Now Paul, if you're reading this closely, you can see he's responding to criticism. He's responding to the false teacher's ongoing um, assault on not just the message of the gospel, but the messenger of the gospel, Paul himself. Now, these verses are not easy to interpret, whether they be in the original language or even in a translated common language like English, especially verses 17 through 19. Not easy to understand. But one thing is clear. Paul is responding to the main criticism that this doctrine, that justification by faith is dangerous because it weakens a man's sense of moral responsibility. Look at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. Other translations, absolutely not. Another translation, may it never be. Another translation, God forbid. Here is a, not an echo of Romans, but a precursor of what Paul will say in Romans about sin and grace. 
critics here are misunderstanding this doctrine because justification is not some kind of legal fiction in which status is changed while character is not affected. Because you will see justification takes place when someone is united to Christ by faith because someone is not justified out there. They're justified in here, in Christ. And so this change is not only in status, but it will also result in a change in character. And Paul will describe this radical change in terms of death and resurrection. Paul will will argue that a Christian is not justified in Christ and is now free to sin. No, because the death and resurrection of Jesus are not just historical events, but events in which through a person's faith union with Christ, his people have come to share. Because Paul will say here that Christians are united to Jesus both in his death and in his resurrection. Paul is making a powerful argument for the total sufficiency and efficacy, the effectiveness of the work of Christ. He goes on in verse 18, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul is not about to rebuild his former life. He's not about to tear it back down after rebuilding. In addition to this primary objection that this doctrine just leads to license and a freedom to sin, Paul also will sum it up by arguing for the impossibility of any alternative. And you can see that in verse 21. After saying, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what he says. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Here's Paul's summary statement. It's simple and it's shocking. If if justification by faith is not true, if it really is justification by works, if if that's the case, then Christ died for no purpose, for no reason. How many of you all have ever worked so hard on a project, sweated time and effort, and then at the end of the project, because of the way it turned out, the grade it received, you exclaimed either out loud or most certainly in your own thoughts, I did this for nothing? Come on, we've all said that, haven't we? I did this for nothing? Paul is saying something similar because the opponents are denying grace. They're denying the nature of God and they're thus denying the death of Christ, the mission of God. Because this desire to return to law keeping must mean that certain teachers think that what God did through Christ on the cross was somehow inadequate or ineffective. Here Paul is saying self-trust is an insult to the grace of God and the cross of Christ. You know, every Good Friday, every Good Friday, many of us are in this um, 
this room and we're looking at the death of Christ and we read a passage of scripture associated with the crucifixion and, and you often will hear how people around Jesus mocked him, mocked him, hurled insults at him. You know, get down from the cross, save yourself. Hey, king of the Jews, yeah, mocking my friends, when we rely on a justification by works of the law, it's as if we're standing around the cross mocking Jesus as well. What you're doing up there, it's not going to work. I still need to work hard to get right. What you're doing in here is just not efficient. I can do it faster and better. It's a mocking. Paul would write later in Romans chapter 11, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Sounds simple and obvious, right? Because it is. Grace and works can't occupy the same place at the same time. But here's where we need to think about taking it personally. Union with Christ, living by faith. If you read the preparing for worship email that I sent out on Friday, in reading our text, the question was this. Is it always wrong to talk about yourself? I mean, most of us are taught rightly that, you know, don't brag. Don't draw attention to yourself. Be more interested in the other person. You know, be a listener, not a talker. Great, courteous. Etiquette, thoughtfulness, absolutely. But is it always wrong to talk about yourself? Look at Paul talking about himself. Look, kids, look at all the first person personal pronouns. I, 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 me, me, me. I, 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 me, me, me. Here is Paul talking about union with Christ through Christ. Paul said he has died to the law as a means of salvation in order to live for God. In these self-absorbed times that we all live in, the Bible announces the death of self. I no longer live. But notice, you see also, I now live. This is an intensely personal statement. The new I lives Christ lives and dies for me. My friends, look with me at verse 20. Put your eyes on verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul could have stopped there and it would have been enough. But look how he continues. Who loved me and gave himself for me. You know why Paul could defend the gospel against false teaching? Do you know why he could in love go up to Peter and say, Peter, you are out of line? Do you know why he could um, not for a minute um, uh, entertain the false teacher's uh, admonitions? Do you know why? Because Paul was absolutely assured and confident 
that Jesus, the one he had met on the road to Damascus, loved him and gave himself for him. Do you guys memorize scripture? I hope you do because scripture, memorizing scripture is one way to hide it in your heart. And some verses lend themselves to be memorized more than others. And sometimes when I'm working on a verse to memorize, sometimes it hits me. I can say this. I can say this too. I can really say it. I mean it. Galatians 2.20 is one of those verses. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me, Paul says. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, Paul says who loved me and gave himself for me, Paul says. Or, is it what you and I can say as well? Because this is where the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ leads to. Intensely personal. Jesus loves me, this I know. You know what a scriptural basis for that hymn is? Galatians 2. Galatians 2.20. Paul the Apostle could sing that song. Jesus loves me, this I know. And my friends, that gave him courage and boldness to proclaim the gospel and courage and boldness to defend the gospel, and courage and boldness to walk humbly with his God. And finally, going back to that common objection that justification by grace through faith somehow promotes sin, commentator writes this, the reason the doctrine of justification by faith does not promote sin is that justifying faith is what gets us into Christ. And when we are in Christ, we become new people. We are not simply justified by faith, we also live by faith. We live out our lives on the basis of who we are in Christ. So concludes chapter two, the main autobiographical section of the letter where Paul defends himself in order to defend the gospel, the message that he has been given by God. And the next two chapters will focus our attention to this doctrine that Paul has just introduced, justification by faith in Christ. My friends, this great and precious doctrine of justification by faith is the good news that sinful men and women and boys and girls may be brought into acceptance with God, not because of their works, but through trust in Jesus' works. Their trust in Jesus. You see, justification by faith in Christ is not just some doctrine to believe, although it most certainly is. Why? 
because it's the teaching of Scripture. My friends, it is a doctrine to embrace. And so when it comes to justification by faith in Christ, like the resurrection, you've got to take it personally. Have you? Have you taken justification by faith personally? If not, why not? Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious truth of the gospel. Indeed, it is a miracle that sinful men and women like us could ever be in a right standing relationship with a holy and righteous God. But Father, you have made the way through Christ. Oh, Father, would you help us to more and more acknowledge and live out the reality that Christ is both the author of our faith, but he is also the finisher of our faith. And that we are tasting now salvation in part and one day we will taste it in full when we no longer have to walk by faith but instead we'll be able to live and rejoice and worship by sight. Oh Father, would you give us individually as families and as a church a growing desire to know, to understand and to appreciate and to apply this doctrine. This doctrine that brings freedom, freedom to love you, to love others. Oh God, help us to take your word personally and see that you are speaking to us through your word and by your spirit. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Like Paul, we too.